Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in several areas of Scripture. You're going to want to turn your Bible to Zechariah chapter 1 as we begin our chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study of the book of Zechariah, as well, Isaiah 42. But that's just a camping place because we're going to be in Isaiah 40, Isaiah 44, Isaiah 45, and there's just things that I think you need to underline in your Bible in the book of Isaiah. Uh, And then 2 Chronicles chapter 36, once again, uh, Zechariah chapter 1, Isaiah 42, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Now, what I need you to do tonight is pretend that this is Calvary Chapel South Bay University. I'm your professor, and you've come to college class. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. So you're going to see some charts on the screen. You're going to see some uh, historical timelines on the screen. You'll want to take pictures of these. It will better help you understand the book of Zechariah. Now, I am so excited about the book of Zechariah for many, many reasons. Um, But I'm also just excited to be with you guys on Thursday nights. Um, Someone told me last Thursday that this, you guys must be my crew. And I go, what does that mean? And they said, well, you just give it to Thursday night. There's like no hold back. Well, you guys are the double dippers. You love God's word. And I'm just so excited uh, that you're here tonight. Um, Let me say as well, just as a shameless plug for the book, for the book of harvest. (laughs) For our harvest fest, (laughs) the book of harvest. You can tell I'm excited to get to Zechariah. Um, For harvest fest, if you've not volunteered, why not? Um, we really would love for you to be a part of that with us as we serve the Lord together. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. And sorry, this last thing. Our time of prayer is just right. You know, Jesus said that the temple was to be called the house of prayer. And um, as we were praying through what that meant for our church, taking time aside on Thursday night to have corporate prayer it's just right. And so I'm just grateful that we, I hear all the amens as we continue to pray. All right, let's go ahead back to the Lord. Father, we do come before you tonight, and we are desperate and dependent on your spirit. We're calling on the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God, not Moses, the God of Isaac. Lord, we are calling upon the God of Mary, and we know that you hear us. And we pray that you would minister your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you take a look at the book of Zechariah? There it is, the book of Zechariah. And that's all we're going to read from Zechariah today. Just the title, the book of Zechariah. Now, don't worry. Yes, I will spend the entire 45 minutes or longer just walking through the book of Zechariah because Martin Luther calls Zechariah the quintessence. Now, that's a long word, right? The quintessence of Old Testament prophecy. In fact, a more recent theologian by the name of George Robinson, he says a much-quoted quote, the most messianic, the most truly apocalyptic, the most eschatological of all the writing of the Old Testament. That's the book of Zechariah. In fact, the New Testament quotes the book of Zechariah over 40 times. It rivals with Isaiah and Deuteronomy. It seems that Jesus spent a lot of time in his devotions in the book of Deuteronomy and Zechariah. Peter says of this great book, the Apostle Peter, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This was a message that the Holy Spirit wanted to get across to the Jewish nation for the benefit of the church. 
This was a message the Holy Spirit had for the Jewish nation. And we as the church get to benefit from the message that is for the Jewish nation. Now, something that you need to know about this book. It's a prophetic book for the Jewish nation. And I need you to know that the church does not replace the Jewish nation of Israel. When God made a promise to Abraham, he said that the covenant would last forever. And if God uses the word forever, he means what he says, and he says what he means. So this book is a book for the Jewish nation. We get the benefit of knowing their prophetic future. But in this, as a benefit for the church, we also come to discover our great Messiah, Jesus Christ. Because in the book of Zechariah, we will see not just a message to the Jewish nation, but it will unfurl their great Messiah, who is our Jesus the Christ. Amen? Amen. So let's talk first to this Jewish nation. The message to the Jewish nation is divided into four parts. The first part will be chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. God makes a plea with the Jewish nation, return to me. Then in chapters 1 through chapter 6, he sends another message through eight visions, be encouraged by me. The book of Zechariah is about encouraging the nation of Israel. Thirdly, we'll see in chapters 7 through 8, celebrate because of me. The Jews ask God a question, should we continue to fast as we did while we were in exile? And God basically says, "Um, this is the time of celebration. He then says, rule the world with me. And that's going to be one of the most important prophetic times because we will see the apocalyptic nature as God gives two prophetic messages of the future of the nation of Israel. You see, there is a future that is before the world. It is called the seven-year tribulation. It is broken up into two periods. The tribulation... And then the final three and a half years, known as the Great Tribulation. And what Zechariah is going to give us in Zechariah 9 through 12 is the plight of the Jewish nation during the course and after that seven years of tribulation. We will see in the book of Zechariah how the Jews will gather in unbelief. We are witnessing that today. The Jews are returning in unbelief. In fact, if you go to the Jewish nation, you will see more construction because there's not a lot of land. And so what they do is build vertical villages. They build skyscrapers straight up into the heavens. So, And I heard one, pre, uh, one preacher say earlier that uh, the Jewish nation referred to the crane, the crane that builds these skyscrapers, as the skyscrapers as the national bird of Israel. Construction is going on in a tremendous way because Jews are returning to Israel in mass numbers. Zechariah told us this. But Zechariah will also let us know that the Jews that return in unbelief will be thrown into a fiery trial that will last for seven years called the tribulation. And at the end of this tribulation, Zechariah will let us know that Jerusalem will be attacked by the world. And the Jews will be attacked and they will be hated by the entire world. And in that moment of the attack, while it's going on in Jerusalem, Jesus will show up, put his feet on the Mount of Olives, and deliver Jerusalem and his people. And in the final moment of this great sorrow, the people of Israel will see their deliverer. And the Bible says that a revival will pour out. He will pour out a spirit of grace. And all of a sudden, they will look at the one whom they pierced, and they will mourn. In other words, they will repent. And the one that they rejected, Zechariah tell us, will become their deliverer. God will call them Ami, which means my friend or my people, and he will no longer call them Lo or not my people. And Israel will call God my God 
because they will now be in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, much like us, the church of the living God. Zechariah lets us know that the Messiah, speaking in the book of Zechariah, we know him to be Jesus Christ. The Jews know him as the Messiah, will establish his kingdom, and Israel will be priests of the nation that God establishes. This was their original intention. To be a representation to draw people to God, but they became an exclusive social elite club that rejected anyone else from coming to God. Before that thousand year reign, when Jesus sets up his millennial kingdom, Jerusalem will be the place as the center of worship for all nations to come. So Zechariah tells us. Speaking of the Messiah... Zechariah also would not just be apocalyptic, he would be messianic. And what he's going to do in the book of Zechariah, he's going to give us some details, not only about the first coming of Jesus Christ, but about his second coming. Zechariah will tell us in Zechariah 9 through 14 that his, about his divine and his human character. We know God, Jesus, to be the God-man. 100% God and 100% man. Zechariah will tell us that. We will learn from Zechariah 9 that Jesus will come into Jerusalem humbly riding on a colt. How could they miss when Jesus was on the colt coming in on the triumphal entry except their hearts were hard? Zechariah will tell us about his suffering and then his glory. Zechariah will tell us how he will be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, that he would be smitten, and that the disciples would scatter. Zechariah will tell us that he will be pierced by a Roman sword, and that his hands would have holes in it for the children of Israel to see. Oh, that's just his first coming. But Zechariah will also let us know about his second coming. And when we get into Zechariah chapter 12 through 14... Oh, we're going to learn that Jesus is going to return with his saints. Guess who that is? You and me. Those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in the age of the church, when Jesus comes riding on that white horse with on his thigh the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we will return with him. Oh, the glorious day when we see Jesus put his feet on the Mount of Olives as his church. Zechariah will tell us that he will fight for the nation of Israel and that he will besiege all of their enemies and he alone will end the tribulation. He will bring about this national revival and he will remove the crown of thorns that was placed on his head at his first coming and put on him the crown of glory and there Jerusalem will be set up as the center of worship for a thousand year reign of Jesus the Christ on this earth. Zechariah tells us about his second coming. You see, scholars They say that Zechariah's prophecy of the Messiah are second only to Isaiah. Would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42? Isaiah chapter 42, take a look at verse 8. God is speaking of himself and he says in verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 42, I am the Lord, that's my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praises to a carved image. Behold... Now, this is how he differentiates himself from an idol. He says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. God is saying that as God, he is all-knowing. And as all-knowing, he knows the future. You see, of course God would give Zechariah things that didn't happen hundreds of years before because God lives in the future because he does not live in time. God created time and God is eternal. That's why he is able to reveal to Zechariah the things that had not yet be. That's why when John was writing the book of Revelation, John could say, and I saw, because John was living in God's existent future church. That should give us a lot of hope. 
Because there are many things in the book of Zechariah, like the coming of Jesus Christ in his first coming, that have already come to pass. And if one part of the prophecy has come true, then can we not believe that Jesus Christ is coming again for his church? And that Jesus Christ will come after the seven-year tribulation and rule and reign with his church. Now, I'm not sure what you're praying for, but the Bible says, ask for the nations. And I'm asking personally for the nation of New Zealand. In fact, for Andre and I's 30th anniversary, we are praying to go to New Zealand so that we can see the place that we will rule and reign over. Amen? Now, you might be praying for the Bahamas. God bless you. I've been there. You might be praying for Puerto Rico. God bless you. You might be praying for Montana. I'm not sure what you are claiming. But for me and my house, we are praying for New Zealand. You see, before we go any further in the book of Zechariah, I think we need to understand the history of the Jewish nation to understand the prophecy for them. So would you go back with me to Zechariah? And let's take a look now at chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, or Darush, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, stop there if you would. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Okay, and we know who Zechariah, but who in the world is Darius? Now take a look at this in verse 2. The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Why was he angry with them? Well, in order to understand who Darius is, we need to grasp some history. And in order to understand why he was angry with the forefathers, we should understand what made him angry. Well, we know. Rebellion and rejection. They rebelled against God's word, and they rejected God's prophets. Maybe you'll write in your notes. I'm going to read it for you. You don't need to turn there. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 36. You can write it down in your notes, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I'm going to start reading in verse 14. Listen to what God says to the nation. Moreover, all, not some, all the leaders of the priests and all the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers, verse 15, sent warnings to them by his messengers, the prophets, rising up early and sending them because he has compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Even though they rejected God and rebelled against him, he kept sending the prophets. And we're going to see where some of the prophets ended up, verse 16. But they mocked the messenger of God, despised his word, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. How many of you are grateful for the age of grace that we live in today? For how many of us rebelled against the Lord and rejected his word, but the Lord continued to seek and to save the lost? Thank God for the age of grace. But before we answer, now that we know why God was angry with the forefathers, before we answer who is Darius, I want to give you a big picture of Israel's history. So would you take a look at the screen? We're going to be coming back and forth to this slide. You may want to take a picture of it. So you are welcome to take out your phone. Don't check your text messages, but you are welcome to take out your phone. Would you take a look? We're going to divide up Israel's history for this section to be pre-exile, to be mid-exile, and to be post-exile. The theologians would say pre-exilic, but that sounds like I'm speaking in tongues, so I just thought that I would say pre-exile, mid-exile, and post-exile. And what I'd like to do first is dissect pre-exile. You see, there was a unified kingdom. If you remember, the people of Israel wanted a king. So they picked Saul. Saul was not such a great king, so God rejected Saul, and David was chosen to be king. David had a son whose name was Solomon, and he was so wise, he got dumb. 
he chose to have over 700 wives and concubines in his life. Listen, I have one wife. And the Bible says that I'm to dwell with her with understanding. When I get to heaven, I will ask God, what in the world did that mean? Now, I come to understand it means a lifelong pursuit of purposing to understand my wife. But problem is, sometimes women change on a daily basis. And so when I think that she wants this kind of flower, the next day she wants a rose. Um, Dwelling with her with understanding, I can't imagine Solomon purposing to do that with over 700 So just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that God is ordaining it. God is exposing it. And he's communicating. Solomon made a bad decision. So much so in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, I don't even know my son whether he'll be a good king or a bad king. What a horrible statement for a father to make. And his son wasn't a great king. His name was Rehoboam. And Rehoboam made a big mistake. And it was such a big mistake that the kingdom divided. Now take a look at how the kingdom divided. During the reign of Rehoboam, two tribes to the south became the kingdom of Judah. Now it was known as the kingdom of Judah because Judah was the largest tribe and they absorbed Benjamin, two tribes. Then also... Jeroboam, he was not in the line of David. He was a servant of Solomon that came back during Rehoboam, and he decided, I'm going to take the ten tribes of Israel, because there were twelve, two remained with Judah, and ten tribes became the kingdom of Israel. So we have the kingdom of Israel to the north and the kingdom of Judah to the south. Now, remember I told you, put on your college hat as we walk through this. The kingdom of Israel was to the north. The kingdom of Judah was to the south. The kingdom of Israel was also known as the kingdom of Ephraim. You'll see that in the Bible because Ephraim was the largest tribe and they absorbed all the other tribes just like Judah absorbed Benjamin, okay? So let's go back to the big picture slide for just a moment. Now that you know there's a northern and a southern kingdom. So the kingdom is divided in Israel and the kingdom is divided in Judah. But Jeroboam led the children of Israel into sin and they never recovered. So much so that God kept warning them through prophets like Elijah and Elisha, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they refused to listen. So God brought a nation in. And it was an empire. It was the Assyrian nation. And God actually wanted to win them over. So he sent the prophet Jonah to them. And what did Jonah do? I'm not going to them. They're oppressive. They're trying to take over the northern kingdom of Israel. So Jonah wrestled with going to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. But God told them, northern kingdom, repent, or I'm going to give you over to the Assyrians. And guess what? The northern kingdom did not repent. And guess what? God's word was true. The Assyrians came in, took over the northern kingdom. We call it the ten lost tribes of Israel. Now, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, that was the line of David. God says to them, look at your sister. Look what happened to her. You'd better repent. But guess what? They didn't repent. And there was a new world empire at this point. This world empire was the Babylonian Empire. They won a battle of Carchemish and they defeated the Assyrians and now they're the world empire. And God is going to use Nebuchadnezzar as his tool and he is going to go into the southern kingdom and he gets the southern kingdom and he takes the southern kingdom because the children of Israel would not 
repent. Now take a look at this. Here's what happens when the temple is destroyed during the Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. And he begins to take the Jews back to Babylon. That's what they did. They would take them and assimilate them into their culture. So he takes Daniel in the first captivity. You know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We're going to talk about them in just a minute. Then there's a second wave of captivity. And then the temple is destroyed. Now, keep that in mind. The temple is destroyed at this point. But God sends a message. And he sends it through the prophet of Isaiah. And he says this, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, comfort, yes, comfort my people. Now that's important, right? If you've been carried off to Babylon, and you're Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and you've been taken from your parents taken from the holiness of Jerusalem and little Judaism school and Hebrew school and no one is speaking Hebrew, everyone's speaking this foreign language and you're just a teenager and now you're held captive in this guy's uh, palace and he's training you in all the ways of Babylon and now you are stuck as a captive, you're like in a prison and you are just a glorified slave. You've been ripped from your home, you've been brought all the way back to Babylon Babylon, and there you are as a teenager, how wonderful it would be to hear God say through the prophet Isaiah, comfort. Yes, comfort my people. And God did comfort them. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 43. And if you would, with me, just imagine yourself that you are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen to the comfort that he would offer the Hebrew boys in this incredible uh, scripture. Isaiah chapter 43. Speaking to the captives, the Redeemer of Israel says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Isaiah 43 verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, your mind. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you because they would have to go through the Tigris and the Euphrates River. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Imagine you are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before the king of the world, Nebuchadnezzar, and he wants you to bow down to an idol, and you say to the king of the world, we will not do it. Imagine the comfort they received from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43, when God says, Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I know your name. And though you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. It would be during this Babylonian captivity that Daniel as well would arise as a chief that he would be second in command of a world empire, a Jewish man, who Jews at that point, they were the only ones most likely in Babylon that could read or write because they had learned Hebrew so that they could learn the scriptures. And it would be there in Babylonian captivity that Daniel would tell the Jews, this is the time of the Gentiles. And there will be Gentile nations that will dominate over Judah and Israel. And they will dominate over Judah and Israel until God returns and sets up his messianic kingdom. Jesus would refer to this time and he would pull out of Daniel something so important. And in Luke chapter 23, verse, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 21, verse 24, Jesus would say, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles, which Daniel talked about, are fulfilled. How do you think that the three kings from Persia knew that there would be a Messiah if it was not for Daniel, who was in Persia, that told them? 
It would be these kings that would come across all the way from Persia because it was Daniel that would give the prophecy of the coming Messiah. Now, if we could, for just a moment, go back to the big picture of Israel's history. I want you to see. The Assyrians in mid-exile would come and take the northern kingdom. The Babylonians would come and they would destroy the southern kingdom and destroy the temple. It would be during this time that Jeremiah would tell the children of Israel, you better camp because you're going to be there for 70 years. So make your farms and build your house. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. You are going to be held captive for 70 years. Even Jeremiah, uh, Daniel's ministry would happen in the course of time there in Babylon. And it would be there if we go back to this big picture slide for just a moment. We will see that the Babylonians at the end of this time will fall to the Persians. And this is important because there would be a king of Persia, the first king of the world empire, whose name was Cyrus. But Cyrus was very known by God. Now remember what God said I tell you the matter before it comes to be so that you'll glorify me. Go with me to the book of Isaiah so that you can see this. Isaiah chapter 41, I told you we'd be back there. Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41, would you take a look? Isaiah chapter 41 at verse 2. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Now remember, this is 150 years. God is speaking about Cyrus. Look at verse 4. Who has performed and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, am the first. And with the last, I am he. Skip over to verse 25, if you would. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 25. I have raised up one from the north. And he shall come from the rising of the sun. He shall call on my name. This, and he shall come against princes as though mortar, as the potter treads clay. He is speaking specifically about Cyrus 150 years before Cyrus came to be. Even more so than that. Look with me. Flip a couple pages to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44, speaking of Cyrus, he will now call Cyrus by name. Isaiah chapter 44, would you take a look at verse 24. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I'm the Lord, who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and div- uh, drives diviners mad. In other words, I make people who think they know the future crazy because their future never comes to be. Amen. Who turns wise men backward and make their knowledge foolishness. Who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers. Who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited to the cities of Judah, you shall be built. And I will raise her up waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry. And I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he's my shepherd. He shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. And to the temple, your foundation shall be led. Thus says the Lord, chapter 45, verse 1, to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. Church, do you see this? Cyrus won't be born for 150 years. Turn with me, go back with me to the big picture slide. Take a look. Mid-exile, the Assyrians come in just like God said they would, and they take the northern kingdom. The Babylonians come in, they take the southern kingdom, Jeremiah tells them, settle down for 70 years. Daniel tells them, look, the times that the Gentiles are in, they are going to rule and dominate you till the Messiah comes. And then the Babylonians in one night, just like Daniel told Belteshazzar that his kingdom was coming to an end, many, many, tekel, tekel, euphorsen. Babylonians fall to the Persians in one night. And in the first year of Cyrus, 
Ezra tells us he makes a decree just like God said he would 150 years before. Tell the children of Israel, go back and build their temple. It's Ezra chapter 1 verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, he made a decree to go back to the land of Israel. Tell the Jews they could go back just like God said that they would. Now you have to understand the big picture. The big picture in preparation for the uh, prophet Zechariah. Now here's where we get Zechariah. Go back to the big picture slide. We're going to go now to post-exile. They've been in captivity for 70 years. Cyrus makes a decree, return, return back to Jerusalem and rebuild your temple. Well, guess what? There are three waves of Jews that return. The first wave of Jews are led by a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel takes about 46,000 Jews back with him, and their job is to rebuild the temple like Cyrus told them to. Several years later, there's another wave, this one led by Ezra. And Ezra's job as a scribe was to bring religious revival, religious reform, because the temple was now done. Then God would send Nehemiah. And we all know what Nehemiah was supposed to do. Nehemiah had a wall to build. And Nehemiah went and he built that wall in just over 50 days. Now after Nehemiah, guess what? 400 years of silence until God spoke to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah falls in the first wave. He went back with Zerubbabel. He went back with Jeshua, the high priest. He's a part of the first wave. Now keep that in mind now as we begin to understand. Zechariah has his prophecy during the first wave of exile. He went back with Zerubbabel. And Zechariah returns with them. Now, go with me to Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, now we know who Darius is. Well, we don't know yet, but we're going to understand in just a moment. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. In these names exists the entire summary of the book of Zechariah. Zechariah means the Lord remembers. Beck, uh, excuse me. Uh, Berechiah means the Lord blesses. And his grandfather, Edo, his name means at the appointed time. And so within the context of these names, we see a summary sentence of the entire book. The Lord remembers to bless at his appointed time. This book is about the blessing of the coming Messiah and their responsibility to build the temple as an example that he would destroy that temple and rebuild in three days because he was talking about his body. The book of Zechariah is about the blessing of the coming Christ. Now, how many of you, God has given you a promise, but he's just taken way too long to fulfill it? Anyone? He has given you a promise, and it's like, have you left the building? How many of you are like John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11? Are you the one or not? Did you give me this promise or not? Anyone? Anyone ever been there? Well, listen to this. Imagine you're Sarah, and God tells you you're going to have a child, and you have passed the age of giving children, of being able to have children. And God says, you're going to have a baby. No wonder she went, (laughs) no wonder she bust out laughing. And Isaac actually means laughter. And guess what? When Sarah was 75 years old, what did she do? Give birth to a child. And you know what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 21? And when it was God's time 
Sarah gave birth. Can I tell you that the promises of God are not determined on your impatience? The promises of God are based on God's timing. And let me tell you something. His silence is not his inactivity. He's putting all the pieces of the promise together so that when you receive the promise that he told you, you will go, I give glory to God because he reveals a matter before it comes to be. God is giving the promise of Messiah so that we can give glory to him that in his right time, Jesus came in on the scene. You see, this is the ministry of Zechariah. He came to let the children of Israel know the Lord bless you. He came in to encourage them. This book is a prophetic timeline for the Jew, not the church. It's a prophetic timeline of the future of the Jew and the future of the nation of Israel. Now, Zechariah, he was a prophet, but he was also a priest. Now, that's important. He was a prophet and he was a priest. See, the book of Nehemiah, enlisting the priests that went back in chapter 12, they list Zechariah, the son of Edo, as a priest. But God is using him here as a, as a prophet. Now, I need to let you know the unfortunate about most prophets. Take a look, Matthew 23. Matthew chapter 23, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. He's speaking to the Jewish nation. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. It amazes me that in God's great economy, the fruit of telling the truth to Herodias put John the Baptist's head on a platter. It amazes me that this book of Zechariah where he is giving them hope and a blessing and telling them the truth that they would murder him right there on Temple Mount. But there's something that you've got to see about the life of Zechariah. Zechariah was martyred for his faith. Zechariah was the one that will tell us that Christ will be sold for 30 pieces. Zechariah would be the one who would tell us that Jesus would be wounded in the house of his friends just like Zechariah was murdered in the house of his friends. Zechariah would tell us that the shepherd would be smitten and his disciples would scatter. And Zechariah would not only tell of this prophecy, he would live it in front of the nation of Israel as a type of Jesus Christ. He would be a living parable to prepare the nation of Israel for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Much like Hosea was a living parable. Much like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, God asked them to live the message and then proclaim the message Did young Zechariah know where he was headed as a type of Christ? I'm thankful he didn't. Because how many of us, knowing that we would be martyred for our faith, would continue? Knowing that it would be the end result of living a life for God. But how great a privilege to be able to fellowship in the sufferings of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. You see, outside of Matthew chapter 23, outside of what Zechariah tells us about his own father and grandfather, we don't know a lot about Zechariah. We know from a Zechariah chapter 2, if you'll just turn there with me, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 4. Would you look there? Zechariah chapter 2, verse 4. Zechariah 2, verse 4. Zechariah is speaking, and he says here, 
who said to him, Run, speak this to the young man, saying, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 4. Let me pick it up in verse 3. And there was the angel who talked with me going out. And another angel was coming out to meet him who said to him, Run, speak to the young man. This word in the Hebrew is the word nara. It means a teenager. That means that Zechariah was a teenager when God was using him to proclaim something to the nation. Can I tell you, young person, if you're listening to me, listen carefully, young people. God wants to use you now. You are not the church for tomorrow. You are the church today. He used Timothy and said to Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. Just set an example. He told that to Timothy. He said, don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example. Would you look at Mary, who was a teenager, or David, who defeated Goliath when he was a teenager? No wonder David would write in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, take a look, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Do you realize that when your toddler says something spiritually profound out of the mouth of babes came that glorious truth? How many ever had that happen to you? I'll never forget my wife one day. She got so frustrated with the kids, she said the the shut up word. Timon was five years old at the time. And Timon said, we don't say that word. And Andrea looked at him and said, Timon! And she goes, he said, I'm just saying, don't worry, I'll tell dad. (laughs) And Andrea was convicted out of the mouth of this babe. And how many of us are living the kind of example? Now, I can say that of the story of my wife. I can also say a story of mine. When I was out working there in the garage and there came down that hammer on my thumb, God forgive me, and my child looked at me and said, Dad, you're a pastor. (laughs) This was many years ago. My mouth has been sanctified (laughs) since that point. You can hit my hand with a thumb all day. Don't do it, okay? He was the son of Edo. Now, before we go any further, I want to talk about the ministry of Zechariah. Zechariah will return with the first wave. The first wave of Jews that returned had a responsibility to build the temple, and they did. They completed the altar and laid the foundation within two years, but there's a problem. The ruling Samaritans, who were under the Persians at the time, they said, can we help you build the temple? Well, the Jews know. The Jews knew that the Samaritans didn't want to help. They wanted to destroy the work. They wanted to come in, and as a Jew was putting a brick on the temple, they wanted to take the brick off. They didn't want to make cement. They wanted to make liquid water that would just mud, that would just fall apart. They had no desire to build this temple. They wanted to not let the Jews build the temple. So what they did was they wrote a letter to the king who was no longer Cyrus. And they write a letter to the king of Persia. Do you know what these Jews are doing? Look them up in your history books. They're a rebellious nation. They even rebelled against their God. They rejected their kings. And the very testimony of their life, the enemy was using against them. How many of you have ever had the devil remind you of the sin that you used to have? And he brings condemnation. And he says things to you about your history. Has anyone ever had that? Thank God there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the king, when he read this letter, the king wrote back a letter, have them stop the building of the temple right now. Well, they did. They stopped building the temple. And they stopped building the temple after they laid the foundation. And Ezra 4, they stopped building it for 16 years. 16 years. Temple reconstruction stopped for 16 years. So God raised up a man by the name of Haggai. Sound familiar? Haggai was an older man. Haggai was a prophet. 
And Haggai went to the first wave of Jews who were told by God to go back and to build the temple through Cyrus. Haggai shows up to the scene and he goes, you better get back to work. That's basically the book of Haggai with that tone. You better get back to work. You know, older people can get away with anything, right? I I can't wait till I'm 70 and 80 years old and I can say whatever I want, okay? Isn't it true? Like your grandmother, your great-grandmother, it doesn't matter. She can say whatever she wants. You know, oh, God bless grandma, right? And Haggai comes on the scene. He's an older person. And he goes, you better get back to work. Read the book of Haggai. That's what he says. You see, the, the children of Israel, when they came back after 70 years of captivity, imagine what Israel looked like. Imagine after 70 years of someone not taking care of your house, what your house would have looked like. Trees were growing on Temple Mount. It's going to take a lot of work. So they got discouraged. And then they had people write a letter to them. Well, you better stop. And so they were afraid. So they stopped building the temple. The problem is all the money that they got to build the temple, you know what they did? They built their own houses. So Haggai comes on the scene and goes, so you got enough time and energy and money to build your own house, but you won't build the house of God. Get back to work. This is why you don't got money. This is why your crops aren't producing. This is why you're sick all the time because you've neglected the work of God. Get back to work. When you read the book of Haggai, please read with it the book of Zechariah. Because about two months after Haggai tells the children of Israel, get back to work, young little Zechariah comes on the scene. Zechariah is an encourager. Where Haggai is an exhorter and says to the people, you need to get back to work, Zechariah comes on the scene and his ministry is a little bit different. He's an encourager. Because God knows sometimes we need a kick in the pants and he knows sometimes we need a hug. And so God sends Haggai, you better get to work, And he sends young Zechariah, well, let me tell you why you need to get to work. Because God wants to bless you. God is going to bring an eternal kingdom through you. God is going to rebuild Jerusalem. God is going to do a great work. So you've got to get back to work. Come on, Israel. You can do it. That's Zechariah. Zechariah begins to encourage the people. Would you look with me at Zechariah chapter 1? Look at the plea that he makes in verse 3. He says, I'll start in verse 2, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore, verse 3, say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. I am sure that James, the brother of Jesus, studied the book of Zechariah. Because he would say in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When people come to me and they say, hey, Pastor Chet, I don't feel like God is close. I'm an exhorter. My wife is Zechariah. I'm Haggai. And when they come to me and they say, hey, I don't feel close to God, my response is, that's your fault. Because there's a promise in Scripture that says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Your relationship with God is based on you, because God won't ever force relationship, because that's not relationship. And here, God says, return to me. I'll return to you. I want relationship with you. You've got to take the step. Now, do you want a relationship that's near with God? Or do you want a relationship that you feel so far away from God? And so God uses this exhortation and God uses this encouragement so that they are rebuilding the temple. So they start rebuilding. And when they start rebuilding, guess what? The Samaritans get upset again. They send a letter to the new king whose name is Darius. And Darius, he says to Darius, these Jews are building again. They say that Cyrus told them that they could build. We don't know if that's true, Darius, and we just want to let you know these Jews are building again. So Darius 
wise king. He goes through all the history books, and there he finds Cyrus made a decree, rebuild the temple. He sends a letter back. You can read this in Ezra chapter 4, Ezra chapter 5, and Ezra chapter 6. He sends a letter back and he says this, let the Jews rebuild, and by the way, you pay for it. Come on, God. That's the Darius and Zechariah. He says to them, let, let the children rebuild, and I want you to pay for it, and... I want all of their sacrifices, all of their lambs, all their cows, whatever they need, I want you to provide from your flocks. Wow, God! The children of Israel stopped building the temple. And Zechariah comes in on the scene and he encourages them and said, God wants to use you. He wants to bless you. And what a message it would have been confirming Zechariah's word when Darius sent the letter and said, you're right, Zechariah. Rebuild that temple and I'm going to pay for it. You see, though God may wait long in giving his promise, it will come to pass in your life. And he will send little messages of encouragement all the way until the promise is fulfilled. But here's what God says to you. Listen carefully, and it's where we close. Listen, church. He says, return to me, and I'll return to you. I'll encourage your faith with a Darius letter. I'll help you along the way. But our relationship and the promises I have for you are in the context of relationship. So return to me, and I'll return to you. Zechariah would plead with them, repent. And you know what they did to Zechariah? They murdered him. Malachi would come on the scene. He would proclaim, repent. And they put him to the side. And so then God took 400 years and did not speak again to the nation of Israel. Since you're not listening, I'm not talking. Since you don't want relationship, I'm backing off. And then 400 years later, because the heart of God is to seek and to save the lost, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, John the Baptist would come with the same message of Zechariah, repent. And what did they do? They cut his head off. You see, Jesus would come on the scene and say, repent. And what did they do? They put him on a cross. He trusted the disciples with the message, repent. And what did they do? They speared them. They burned them. You see, I get it. I understand why it's difficult to go out in the world and tell the world to repent. Because the world doesn't like for us to communicate the truth. That's why Jesus has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that fear. And when the Spirit of God came upon the disciples, they left that fearful upper room and they went obedient to the word no matter the cost. And they told the Jews, repent. Church, communicating the gospel. Well, there's a line from Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. And Lucy asked the beavers, is Aslan safe? They laugh. Safe? There's nothing safe about him. Just ask John the Baptist. Just ask Zechariah. And just ask your heavenly Father to give you the Holy Spirit to overcome that fear and to go out into your world despite the cost and say repent. Amen.
So Holy Spirit, we ask you, because we believe you're the God of the second chance. You're not asking the world to repent because you're mad at them. You're asking the world to repent because you love them. You died for them. And now you live eternally to offer them eternal life. Would you use your church by filling us with the power of your Holy Spirit to overcome fear? For we see in the prophets of old where truth-telling led for their lives. And quite honestly, it doesn't sound like a great future. But we know the rewards are eternal. And where many of us will probably not lose our head or be murdered for the gospel, we can feel that fear sometimes. And we just need your spirit. So Holy Spirit, in this nation of freedom, do not allow the church to be canceled. Let us proclaim from the rooftops that Jesus is alive and well, seeking and saving the lost. Let us go into our world by the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter the cost. To say that we have a Savior that can save from sin if people will repent. Repent is not an archaic word to Calvary Chapel, South Bay. It's a refreshing word. It's a word that brings us relationship with God. And your promise is this. Return to me, and I will return to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.